All right, welcome again to another segment of the Grassy Knoll on this Friday, October 20th, 2006. Uh, with us today is Ralph Sashmar. We're going to talk about an event that occurred uh, six years and a day after uh, Waco, four years and a day after the Murrow Building bombing in uh, OKC. Now, um, we're not necessarily going to tie this in to those dates. That's not the thrust of the show, but we might address that later or perhaps on another show. It's still a bit of, um, and curiosity is a bad word to use in a situation like this, but we are talking about the Columbine High School Massacre back on April 20th, 1999. And, uh, Ralph, thanks very much for uh, coming on the show. All, all these guys in the West Coast, I don't know. Um, now, a lot of people do research. And, and never goes any further than that. Uh, we are with Ralph uh, Sashmore, and he's on the line right now. Now, um, a lot of people do research uh, and don't really do anything further than that. It's, it's like FYI in a sense. But um, you uh, researched the Columbine situation and took it uh, to another level. One, um, what drew you to that event other than what drew us all, but to even compel you to go further uh, into uh, perhaps – a great deal of the anomalies uh, that occurred on that day. Well, I have to say that uh, uh, my uh, my interest was really sparked on that first day as I saw the events unfolding, just like you. But uh, I questioned at that time why two youths would do such a thing, especially two seniors about to graduate. Normally, that's a time of optimism and hope, and here the uh, these two guys are planning uh, murder. And as I noticed in the months following, some uh, strange things that were not reported in the newspaper, anomalies. And as I got more and more into it, uh, I noticed that it was uh, really kind of a, a boutique interest. Not that many people were questioning what was going on. And I, I kind of stayed with it just for that reason, that there weren't that many people researching it. For example, there's a lot of people who do the 9-11 stuff, mm-hmm. uh, who do the JFK assassination stuff, but almost no one was doing Columbine. So I felt a personal responsibility to do my own little investigation and bring out the facts as best I could. I, I didn't get it, if you know what I mean, back uh, in 99, nor in 95, or nor in 93. And in 93, we also had an event that was close to me at that time when I was living in New Jersey right across the river from Manhattan. We had the uh, the bombing of the, the, the World Trade Center. So a lot of stuff was going on in the 90s, and it may or may not have anything to do with Clinton's watch. But... Um, with regard to Columbine and perhaps you getting it maybe before um, other people did, was there something about the way things were happening in the 90s that made you uh, suspicious? Uh, no, not really. I, I'd, heard, I'd heard, of course, about OKC and Waco, and those were, were very suspicious too. But by that time, I had woken already. So it wasn't really, really that surprising. But, uh, but as I said, what kind of disturbed me about Columbine was that the people really didn't see it. The, the more I dug into it, the more obvious it was. And it, of course, it was just a, a continuation of a pattern that we saw throughout that decade and, and even now. All right, so when you say a continuation of a pattern, as you look back, you can see some some uh, connectivity. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, there's a, you know, ever since uh, the 60s, there's been a whole string of covert operations that were, were kind of obvious if you looked into it. And uh, Clinton there was no different, unfortunately. No, in fact, I think that was the most intensified period uh, there might have been. Uh, can you give us the official storyline on what took place that day? 
Yeah, officially speaking, uh, just two young men, uh, Eric Harris, 18, and Dylan Klebold, 17, planned and executed this, this horrible act of mass murder on April 20th, 1999. Uh, that's basically the official story. They did it alone. Uh, some people may have had uh, inkling that something was going on, but basically it was just those two. And as I read all the newspaper accounts, you know, I started reading the official documents when they were released, and my suspicions grew. There was just too many indications that there were others involved, uh, most especially, I think, by the eyewitnesses on the scene. You know, it's kind of strange uh, that I would go back and look at some of the um, m uh, mainstream accounts, and the fact that, really... Um, the toll that was taken there in numbers uh, varies. So, do you remember what the um, the number dead and wounded were? Uh, certainly, there was uh, uh, 15 dead, including the two uh, alleged perpetrators, and some 23 people wounded. That's that's a fairly high number for for just two people doing it. Okay. So, all right. Um, what kind of weaponry was reported to have been used? Uh, they had two shotguns that were seized on their bodies. There was also a, a, a machine pistol called the Tech 9, mm -hmm. and there was also a, uh, an assault rifle type weapon called a High Point Rifle. But all those weapons were fairly cheap and, you know, not high quality weapons. Um, all right, so we got each having a shotgun, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. One, uh, Cleveland had, was supposed to have a double barreled shotgun sawed off, and Harris uh, was supposed to have a pump action shotgun sawed off. All right, uh, with the pump action, how many rounds can you get off before you have to reload, do you know? Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I think it's about five or six rounds. You can right. shove into the. Uh, okay, so uh, now can we assume that one of them had the Tech 9, the other had an assault rifle? That's correct, yeah. All right, um, not that it matters so much, but I mean, I, I'm thinking that anybody's going to per uh, perpetrate something like this, shotguns are not necessarily the, the weapon of choice, mainly because, as you just said, you can only get so many rounds off and you got to stop. Oh, that's true, especially with a double-barreled shotgun. Now, were those shotguns used necessarily uh, to uh, to bust them to places that were locked, or was that just... And, and in fact, did they start with that first, do you know? Oh, uh, you mean what weapon they used first? Yeah. Uh, I believe it was uh, mostly, no, the, uh, the the 9 millimeter weapons. The oh. Tech 9 and the, the uh, other one. Oh, did, but they, they did switch off throughout the attack, allegedly. Okay, now, that reminds me, I might have overlooked this. You just said something uh, at the outset regarding the shotguns. Were the shotguns found on them? Uh, all the weapons were found close to the bodies, that's correct, in the library where they allegedly committed suicide. Okay. Uh, Interestingly enough, if I could add something. Sure. Uh, the, the Tech 9 was found uh, clutched in uh, the right hand of, of perpetrator Dylan Klebold. Yet the uh, the entry wound was in his left temple, and he was also left-handed. So here you have a left-handed shooter with an entry wound in his left temple, and he's got the gun clutched in his right hand. What right. does that tell you? Yeah, well, I'm just I'm just contemplating that. Yes, you're exactly right. In fact, and and I want to say this also, folks, because there's a little bit of a different um, chronology to some of the interviews I've done. Uh, the first one you're hearing is with Ralph regarding Columbine. I did do two pre-records with the author of a book called Dunblane Unburied, Sandra Utley. She's in uh, England. Also with Andrew McGregor, a 17-year veteran of a police force in Australia who has done work with Port Arthur. Both are massacres. Dunblane was in a school. Port Arthur was at a resort area. But the reason I mention this is because at the time that we did those interviews, I did it so that I could accommodate where those folks were in time zones, which, you know, is just not compatible uh, to where I am. Um, 
So after you hear Ralph today, you're going to hear Sandra Utley regarding Dunblane next Wednesday. You're going to hear Andrew McGregor next Friday um, addressing Port Arthur. And then we're going to have another gentleman come on in November again, uh, a teacher, uh, I believe, an instructor at a junior college uh, who was very familiar with the area as well. So uh, this is what's taking place here. I think because of what's, what happened in the United States recently uh, in uh, Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, also in Las Vegas, in a situation again in, in Colorado, I don't know, it just struck me that I, that I thought it was time to, to take another look back at what happened to tell us more about what's going on now and what you might see in the future. Um, <clears throat> was there anybody in the local news, if you recall, at the very first uh, reports, which they can never um, alter or censor, was there ever a mention of anyone but the two as this thing evolved? <clears throat> Initially, I didn't hear about it until a couple hours after it started. That's when I was at a friend's house, and he, he uh, told me something was going on on the TV. So I did not hear the initial accounts. Okay. Uh, you say they can't be censored. Well, they kind of have been. Uh, to this very day, you cannot get news footage from the first half oh. hour of the incident. No doubt, Ralph. Uh, and let me tell you, uh, also, uh, we have people joining us as we go on. Some of them jump in late. We're speaking with Ralph Seishmart. We're talking about Columbine, uh, a high school massacre, uh, into which he's done much uh, research over the years. And so, no, uh, by all means, understand me. They censored after the fact. But when those accounts go off raw, uh, across radio and uh, television, they're, they're not often caught, uh, as we all know, about 9-11. And, of course, yes, you never will hear that stuff again. Even in archives, if anybody ripped any, uh, did you ever come across any mention of, of more than two people? Uh, in the popular media? Yeah. Yes, uh, yes, I did, actually. There were a repeated mention of, of other witnesses who saw a third gunman. Uh, but they, they kind of told about that in passing. And it's true that those were more common in the first few right. days. But as the, the time went on, that talk of that gradually became less and less. Uh, you know, I would point out that the, uh, the police, within a couple of hours, they had uh, identified the two shooters. Even before that, uh, they, they broke in and, and allegedly found the body. Oh, no. uh, would you state that again just to clarify? Uh, I would say that within two or three hours of the incident happening, they had already identified that it was two shooters. Okay. Uh, and just two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then a couple hours later, they came out with the names. And I always thought that was awfully suspicious. Especially, uh, one point I want to make, there were many, many eyewitnesses who did identify other people involved. There were also many eyewitnesses who saw more than two at one time. Sure. Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, I wanted to give the mainstream the benefit of the doubt if it ever let leak out that there were more than two. And you're saying yeah, there might have been some cursory um, mentions of it, but, of course, that was all shut up and finished with not long after, I guess, the uh, the closing of the uh, the event. Well, the, the police and media knew that there were many people in the local area who had seen these individuals, and, of course, there were rumors and there was a lot of talk. So the, the media had to mention that fact that they, people had seen others and there were other IDs. But at the same time, they kind of poo-pooed it. it was, that kind of talk was generally followed by, you know, but of course mm-hmm. we've identified just two and it's just two, that kind of stuff. All right, now, the both of them, uh, Klebold and Harris, mm-hmm. let me ask you this. Harris was supposedly on uh, psychotropic drugs. Was uh, a Klebold a user? Uh, we don't know to this very day. They never did uh, release the results of a full autopsy or a toxicological screen. So we don't know. There has been, I get, once again, speculation. Some people say that he was, but for some curious reason, we can't find out. I had on the show, 
I'm sorry. Um, did you you want to finish that comment? Uh, I'm saying they just won't tell us. So. Mm. You know, I am. Um, I did a show like a couple of years ago with uh, Dr. Ann Blake Tracy, mm -hmm. who is a, a big uh, proponent of um, the dangers uh, and getting the dangers known about uh, what they would call SSRIs. We call them antidepressants. Uh, right, I'm with that. And she went, uh, at the time I spoke to her, she was on her way back from um, uh, giving testimony uh, before a Senate subcommittee, along with a survivor of the shooting. Uh, and um, and she uh, she was a, you know very forthcoming that, obviously, uh, Harris was under... Uh, the medications now, whether or not he stopped him, and, and that you know, I don't know about that, but certainly he was uh, identified as being someone who was under that medication. Yes, that's true. He was allegedly prescribed Luvox for obsessive compulsive disorder. Ooh. Although, why exactly, under what circumstances? Once again, we don't know. Is uh, he had a psychologist? That man was never interviewed by police, apparently. Now, why? you know, oh, yeah, exactly. Right. And even today, there's questions of motive, why they did it. You would think that the psychologist would be one of the first people they'd go to to find out his mental state. Yeah, and kind of, and kind of do a deconstruction of, of everything right. that led up to that uh, very violent moment. Yes, exactly. A forensic autopsy. Now, the, the two of them were part of a group called the Trench Coat Mafia. That's correct, yes. Now, um, did that group uh, contain more than just the two of them, or...? Uh, it did, actually, yeah. There was, I would say, roughly uh, five to seven active members and a, and a larger group of associates behind that, maybe another 20 who knew of their activities, who were friends with them. Well, would that necessarily mean that there were another group or two that um, kind of had their own little um, identity? Was there something like the Splatterpunks or something? Uh, well, they were a, a kind of a clique. They, they hung out together. They, they, they uh, were in school together. They all exhibited more or less the same characteristics. And uh, there was one charismatic member who led the group. He was also involved in the shooting. As we, oh, okay, as we'll find out later. All right. Um, did, was this an antagonistic group for over a year? In other words, they're seniors, so they're pretty much, you know, the, the alpha males mm -hmm. in a high school s uh, setting. Uh, but was this something that went on for years and that they were not necessarily the founding members of? Or? That's true. They weren't the founding members. There was also uh, already by 1997, two years prior, this group had kind of formed. And uh, they had gotten their picture into the high school yearbook in 1998. But by 1999, the membership had dropped off. And, and of course, after the shooting, there was no more trench coat mafia. Okay, now, uh, was there antagonistic behavior between uh, this group or any of the other related groups uh, in years before? Well, they, they, that group certainly was known for being uh, antisocial. They did a lot of vandalism. They got into repeated fights with the athletes of the school. They, whenever something happened at the school, they were brought in and questioned. Yeah, they were definitely antagonistic toward others. I mean, they actually got into fist fights with uh, the jocks? Oh, exactly. Yeah, there they were no shrinking violets. They, they were probably the aggressors in any kind of a conflict with other groups. Not that this matters, but it just gives us a little bit more of a, a you can't really call it humanity in this case, but um, were these guys or, uh, in that group or uh, Klebold and Harris themselves um, uh, physically um, uh, 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 dominant or uh, imposing? Uh, no, no. Uh, Harris, well, there were, uh, most of the members of the group were kind of big. Most of that is true. Most of them were big. But they weren't... Uh, uh, ultra-heavy, they weren't, uh, I don't know what you'd call domineering. Yeah, I'd just say they were antisocial. 
I think, uh, well, there's a lot of ways of showing that, but... Uh, yeah. but the, well, they were known for walking through the hallways, staring at people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they certainly were not shrink down from the fight. Did any of them have um, a prior a felony? I think most of them, yes, I would have to say it's very definitely true. The main members all had rap sheets, uh, sometimes quite extensive rap sheets. Unfortunately, we don't know what they were arrested for or what they were tried for. All that information was redacted in the official documents. And actually, whatever happened, obviously, even if they were in juvie uh, a year or so before, they were all out and in school. So whatever it was, and we're not talking about armed robbery or something like that. So, uh, Well, uh, we don't know, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, I would say that the, the leader, uh, the, the most violent member of the group, he had an arrest record dating back to age seven. Oh, at, at that time, uh, he was arrested for being a fugitive from another jurisdiction. At seven? At seven years old. There was some uh, hint that, that he had committed a, a hideous crime at age five, involving the, the death of a, of a friend or a classmate. But that, that's speculative. Okay. We don't know. All right, so the, it is true that he was arrested at age seven. The other thing also with the mainstream story. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did they say was the timeline? How long did the event take place? Uh, officially, let's see now. It started approximately 11.20. And the, the first media account said it lasted until about 4 p.m. That's when they, they, the police declared that the school had been secured. So from about 11.20 to 4 p.m. All right. It, it later turned out, though, that the... Uh, they, they changed the time of death of Harrison Klebold to 12.08. That's officially speaking when they committed suicide. So from about 11.20 to 12.08, that's 48 minutes. Okay. Now, yeah. maybe we can start here, unless you have a better idea. But let me, let me posit this, and if you think you want to approach it from a different uh, point, uh, by all means. Mm-hmm. Now, is this one of the first, uh, shall we say, stinkers that's involved with the orig- uh, the uh, mainstream account and perhaps what really did take place? Is this idea of the exchanges all uh, going on between, let's say, 11.20 and around noon or so, uh, are there reports that the shooting was going on much longer than that? Well, interestingly enough, after 12.08, the time that the uh, perpetrators allegedly committed suicide, there is a, a long string of reports of gunfire, suspects, explosions happening after that, all the way up to about four or let's say three fifty p.m. All right, you got people seeing perpetrators walking in the hallways. You got people hearing gunshots going off outside the classroom doors, uh, running back and forth. It, it just it went on and on. Well, I'm just I'm looking at uh, part of the um, the timeline you have posted in the forum, mm-hmm. and folks, um, I will have up. In the archive audio, along with the link to this interview, um, the uh, uh, forum. Are you the moderator of that forum, Ralph? I'm not the moderator. No, I just posted. Okay, uh, but I'm going to put that link to uh, that forum so people can read what's been going on there with the information. Uh, you, a lot, some stuff is speculation, but they can find out for themselves uh, the hard stuff from uh, what might be a, a speculation. Also, while we're at it, um, you said on Alex Jones' site, are we looking at Infowars or Prison Planet? where there's also more information about Columbine? Uh, yes, I posted the, the primary uh, uh, fruits of the, my investigation on that site, infowars.com forum. All right. Um, if you do know, um, in fact, remember, I mean, I is there a link down the left-hand side of that site that'll, that'll uh, hook up to you, and what is the heading if there is one? Uh, uh, the, the, the post at Infowars? Yeah. It, I just posted under uh, unanswered questions of the Columbine massacre. 
All right. Now, uh, on that homepage, is there a link that you can click on, or, or do you? Because uh, I know, I know the sites are a little different. I get a little mixed up. I go mostly to Prison Planet. But is, if you put the um, some words in a search engine, will you come up to your? Uh, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. All right. My site's uh, it's called Echoes of Columbine on EasyBoard. It's a forum. Okay. So just type in Echoes of Columbine EasyBoard. You'll get right to it. All right. Good deal. Thank you. Uh, again, folks, um, we have with us Ralph Sagemore. We're talking about. Uh, Columbine uh, High School's massacre that took place on April 20th, 1999. All right, now, uh, going back to hearing the gunshots, and this is what got me to do that little uh, um, rap on uh, where they can find information uh, that you've posted and others, because I'm looking at the typeline I printed out, and I'm, just to hit one of them, uh, for instance, it says, um, there's a woman in a, oh, okay, she said, um, Librarian Lois Keane, hiding in RN sound booth, says last shots heard around uh, 1.30 hours. Does she mean 1.30? Uh, yes, correct, 1.30 in the afternoon. All right, there's another one in here that I came across I thought was interesting also. Um, hiding in a cabinet, library witness Patricia Nielsen says she hears a small, short burst of gunfire in the library. She looked at her watch to know what time it was. All right, now, um, let's, let's get back to... To the fact that the shooting was going on, was it all friendly? Do you know? I mean, who, when did the uh, law enforcement finally enter the building? Well, uh, that was a big bone of contention. Initially, they thought they didn't enter until three hours after the shooting started. But when the uh, investigation, the final report came out, they claimed that they had entered initially at approximately the same time Harris Klebold committed suicide, allegedly around 12:08. However, the first entry was on the other side of the school. Proceed very, very slowly, classroom to classroom. Uh, so that they never got anywhere near the perpetrators when they were alive. And an hour later, approximately 1.10 p.m., there was another entry of a SWAT team in the cafeteria area on the other side of the school, just below the library where the shooters were. Mm -hmm. And that also proceeded very, very slowly. What by room, uh, a lot of the students were not evacuated until approximately 3 p.m. Now, were they necessarily, uh, the students that, that is, uh, were they necessarily locked down in their respective classrooms? Uh, most of the students at that time who were left in the school were locked in classrooms, that's correct. They barricaded the doors and they, they waited for the SWAT. Uh, one thing uh, that struck me when I was reading the personal accounts is that the students were more frightened when the SWAT team came to the doors than when the shooters were roaming the hallways. All right, now that's provocative. Uh, do you know why or can you... Um uh, perhaps um, posit why? Uh, I don't know uh, why. They, they never really explained what, in what manner the police were acting. I, I just know that they were, uh, a lot of the people complained that the, the police were very rude, very insulting. Uh, that, that's when they, they were scared. There was one uh, young fellow named uh, Matt DePue. He was locked in one of the rooms out the kitchen. He was in contact with a, a Denver police officer the entire time. And when the SWAT team, team came to the door around 3 p.m., he asked this officer he was in contact with to tell his father that he loved him because he thought he was going to die. Well, the policemen were at the door. That's when he was most afraid. To what agency did the um, SWAT members belong? Uh, well, there were a couple of SWAT teams. They had a, a Jefferson County SWAT team. A Denver SWAT team was very active. There was an FBI team there. Uh, but it, precisely who did what was also never explained. Are you talking about Denver PD? Denver PD, right, yeah. All right, now, were there SWAT members of the FBI there? Uh, there was also an FBI team there, that's correct. Okay. All 
right, now, um, so, so we had about what? We had about three uh, uh, law enforcement departments there. All right, actually, there was more than that. There was about, I'd say, 12 to 15 different departments there at one time or another. And where would Mike Day come from? Uh, well, yeah, Jefferson County, the local, they had Littleton PD, Lakewood PD, Aurora PD, Denver PD. These were all suburbs of Denver, of course. And you also had the ATF was there. Right. Uh, and the FBI was there, of course. The next day, FEMA made an appearance. You know, they, they brought in just about everybody. Well, there was, there was a, a decent amount of criticism of, of uh, the way uh, law enforcement handled it that day. I mean, uh, did you know whether or not they um, set up some kind of command post and, and one agency took over the, uh, the operation? Uh, they, they did set up a command post uh, within an hour. It was never uh, quite clear who, who was in charge there. Nominally, the Jefferson County Sheriff John Stone was in charge, but he, he, he was walking around in a daze. He was kind of shell-shocked. Uh, I remember reading many years later the accounts of the officers there, and they mentioned a number of names, about four or five, uh, like a committee, but they never quite got down who was in charge. There was a lot of rumors that the whole crime scene was federalized almost immediately. Uh, but Which means that they... Which means they would have taken, um, uh, I, I guess, over the operation where the uh, top dogs. Right. They would have assumed tactical command. Everybody would have been under the, the feds if that had happened. Did all uh, law enforcement agencies enter through the same side? Uh, no. no. They, they entered primarily, I believe, to, uh, through two sides, on the east side and the west side. That, those were the initial entry teams. All right. And one, that would have been what? Was the cafeteria one entrance point or...? Right, that was the cafeteria on the west side. <clears throat> Excuse me, they entered around nine ten, I think, and on the uh, east side, they entered about twelve oh eight. A whopping forty five minutes after the shooting started. Were there two or three uh, rooms, in fact, and I'm thinking the library's got to be one of them, where there was um, a considerable body count? I mean, well, not necessarily deceased, but also wounded. Uh, the, primarily, most of the deaths and the wounded happened in two places, uh, right outside the west entrance, and also in the library. Now, the shooters were also seen uh, shooting up the cafeteria when students were in there. They were roaming the hallways shooting. But uh, officially speaking, most of the casualties did happen in, in the library and outside the west entrance. When you say outside the west entrance, you're talking about outdoors, right? Right, right, right outside the, the doors of the school on the west side. All right, now, um, why don't we get down to exactly what the problem is with the number of people involved beyond um, Klebold and Harris. Now, there is... There are two people, at least, that I've seen uh, whose names or descriptions have come up time and again. One is the supposed uh, white T-shirt bomber. Right. And the other is, uh, I guess, an individual by the, whose last name is Perry. Okay. You want to identify these people by, by name, or should we just use first names? I don't want to. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, the only reason I'm doing it, and, and it's, you know, I, I understand, it's just that once it hits the uh, Internet and it's there to be taken, I mean, it's public record. Right. It is public record. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't see where, where our liability comes in here. Okay. All right. Sure. Um, so, am I right? White T-shirt bomber was, uh, and was that individual ever possibly identified? Uh, well, of course, the police uh, interviewed him right away. They detained him almost right away, as they did the other perpetrators. But that person himself was never identified. He was probably not a student there. He was described as being considerably older, uh, all the way from early 20s to early 30s. But, no, we never found out his name. Now, how many uh, uh, eyewitnesses say they saw him throwing devices up on the roof? Uh, I believe just two or three people. However, he was seen also in other areas, uh, being involved in the attack group. Altogether, I would say there was 
probably about 20 eyewitnesses who saw this person on the scene. Was that explained away at all by him being some kind of like an air conditioning repairman or something? No, that, that, that was another person on the roof, okay. uh, this white t-shirt bomber fellow. Uh, the police said that that was Eric Harris. He had just dropped his black trench coat. That's how they explained that away. But that's ridiculous because other witnesses uh, saw three of them all together at one time. He was described as wearing light blue jeans, which Eric Harris is wearing black pants. So that never flew with any any researcher or any student of the massacre. All right. Uh, the other individual whose last name is, is uh, referred to as Perry, uh, more people had seen this individual. Is that correct? Uh, we have uh, at least uh, 11 people who saw him and possibly as many as 20 who saw this individual and identified him. And among them were also, what, one or two teachers? or? Uh, uh, let's see now. I, I would say, yeah, there was probably one or two adults that identified, but most of them were students. They knew this guy. He, he had been kicked out a semester before. He had a very distinctive physical appearance, and he was also heavily involved in the Trenchcoat Mafia group. Uh, how far back before the event had there been some kind of, um, I don't want to say discussion, but some mentioning by these characters that something was going to happen? fact that it continued all throughout those six months up until? Well, we, we don't really have a good idea of what they were doing as far as uh, planning, when they were meeting, whose idea came, you know, who came up with it, uh, who was assigned what role. Uh, but the police did say that they'd been planning it for a year, according to what they uh, seized from the homes of the two firms. Were there any indications that it was going to take place in April? Uh, let's see. Well, no, not, not really. Besides the insiders, anybody realize the date had been set? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Can't say that that's true. All right. Did anybody even guess, uh, whether at the time or in retrospect, that April 20th being Hitler's birthday might have been the day? No, no, that that really didn't come up beforehand. The the, the uh, whole Trenchcoat Mafia group had dropped lots of hints that they were planning an attack, but they did not uh, specify a date. They made violent videos of the school being blown up. They were constantly referring to an attack on the school in their compositions or essays. And they, they basically, you know, were not shy about that at all. So did the teachers alert administration about the kind of content they were getting in English class? Well, uh, one teacher got a, a violent essay by Dylan Klebold. She thought it was so disturbing she did go to his parents. That's true. But there are also other indications that the police may have known or picked up on it. After all, you know, this, this notorious group in the school was being heavily watched. So they, they must have had some kind of uh, indication, I would say. Here in the state of Florida, it's mandatory that they have a resource officer, which is a member of the sheriff's department, in every school, or at least in every high school. Uh, was there any situation like that in Colorado at that time, do you know? Yes, actually, the, the, the Columbine did have a full-time Denver, or rather a Jefferson County Sheriff's deputy at that school. When the shooting broke out, he was like a block away, I think, uh, eating lunch. Okay. other school employee, and he came to the school right away. But uh, tellingly, he never went into that school after the shooting started. All right. He did not risk his life in any way that I could see. He was ensconced in the parking lot behind a 
All right, this is speculation, but is there something curious about the fact he wasn't in the building? Uh, at the time, not really, no. And he, he, you know, he's allowed to go out to campus for lunch, and he doesn't have to stay at school all the time. But what I think is most suspicious is that he did not uh, uh, return his life in any serious way that I could see to save those kids. He was there to protect them, and once the shooting started, he spent most of the time huddled behind a vehicle. Uh, has security changed since that time at, at that school in particular? I imagine it has. It's probably gotten a lot tighter, as it has in many, many schools across the nation. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, we have this mania for 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 turning our schools into minimum security institutions. It seems like. So, all right. With 34 minutes after the hour, you're listening to the grass. You know, we have with us today, um, Rob Sachmar. He's talking about uh, Columbine. Uh, he's the first of uh, four guests to uh, come on the show between now and November 1st, talking about uh, massacres. Um, Two, uh, let's see, well, uh, actually two of which do uh, pertain to children because we're, uh, we're going to talk twice about Columbine, once about Dunblane, which was an elementary school in uh, in Scotland. And, um, again, we're going to speak about uh, what took place at Port Arthur, Australia, which involved uh, tourists um, uh, down there. Um, so what's the best assessment that seems to be corroborated by eyewitness accounts as to how many perps there were involved in the activities at Columbine? Uh, my best guess is that there were at least seven people involved in the active assault party. Uh, we know that six of them were, were witnessed bearing weapons and shooting. There was one other individual who was seen. Uh, he was there, part of that group, although he was not seen with a weapon as far as I know. I would caution, though, that there's m- many, many eyewitness interviews that were never made public. Uh, there's just no trace of them in, in the released evidence, so there could be many, many more eyewitnesses. As it is, and there probably are. As I said, these kids were known at that school. A few of them, it seems to have worn a mask during the massacre, but most of them did not. And the eyewitnesses really did not have any trouble identifying the other participants. So, so there's probably a lot of people that still that, that saw these people. About um, the devices that were thrown rooftop, uh, did they detonate? Uh, they, they did throw pipe bombs initially. Uh, and they had little devices called crickets, and many of those did detonate, that's true. Uh, most of them did not, but uh, in, initially many did detonate, yes. Now, is there any, I, I mean, is, was there any particular reason that would have been involved? In other words, if it didn't have any real uh, damaging effect as it regards uh, uh, human life, uh, was this some kind of diversion or... The bombs? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess they wanted to cause as, as much confusion and destruction as possible. Officially speaking, no one was injured by a bomb. There was talk initially of some uh, girl who had been uh, hit by shrapnel, but then uh, she kind of disappeared. So, no, officially speaking, no one was injured by a bomb. Were there also devices that had gone off? I guess we could call them IEDs nowadays, right? Uh, in any of uh, the, uh, the school rooms? Uh, not within the rooms. They had... Uh, planted a, a, a large propane bomb in the cafeteria, possibly one in the kitchen. They had other propane-type devices laying around inside and outside, but exactly where that information also was never never quite released. All right. Did anybody try to um, uh, place how early uh, those devices had to be um, um, uh, put in their locations? Well, that was kind of interesting. Uh, when, when all was said and done, I think the police counted more than 90 explosive devices in the school, in their, in their cars. They also left some at home. And one of the big questions was how could they 
bring all these devices into the school. When did they do that? Did they carry all this gear around with them? That's unlikely. They were seen with some light backpacks, which had ammo and ammunition clips, but not, not big enough to carry all the bombs. So that was never quite explained how they got all these devices into the school and when they planted them. All right, at this time also, folks, if you want to uh, ask a question or make a comment, you can do so uh, via email. It's visigoth at hotmail.com. If you're using an IM service, you can use uh, MSN. That would be Visigoth. Or Yahoo, that would be Viz1400. And uh, uh, feel free to do so at this time. Now, uh, this might take a, a turn for the more nefarious, but when you have that many devices reportedly in a building, um, this is not the night before type of situation for two people, would you say? Uh, you mean, uh, is it possibly they brought them in the night before? Well, it's still a lot of work for two people, not not necessarily uh, Klebold and Harris. There might have been others, but still, don't you? Well, I mean, again, this is asking your opinion, uh, or if you can cite somebody who spoke to this, but that's an awful lot of IEDs to be placed in any place, one, so late before the event, and if it's been done earlier, would they would be discovered. So what kind of, uh, what kind of time would that have taken to uh, have, have placed IEDs all over? Well, you would think quite a lot. Uh, uh, the official story had it that they, they did all this right before the attack started. For example, they said they came into the cafeteria with two large duffel bags uh, that were had uh, crudely constructed propane bonds in them. Unfortunately, none of the 400 people in that cafeteria saw them do that. But that's the official story. That's the kind of nonsense they had to cobble together to make this thing work. Well, what's... Um discomforting about what you just said also is that it's reminiscent, at least in my thinking, okay, with, with regard to what happened uh, at the Murrow building when um, it was only supposedly the uh, the rider truck, and yet, and here's a case, uh, Ralph, where I was kind of alluding to um, early on, and that is, uh, I've seen uh, TV reports, the very first ones that come out uh, from OKC, and all the talking heads, all the news people are saying there's, there were there were more than well, there were uh, uh, bombs. Let's put it that way. They didn't say a bomb. They said they were bombs. Right. Uh, Keating, the governor at the time, also said that he saw a sophisticated device. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can go back and after Davids that are up on the website uh, with people saying a day or two before they saw people in there uh, with what looked like blueprints pointing in different areas. And supposedly, I guess BATF took out at least one or more devices. All right. So here we have again, and we won't even go into 9/11. But we have a situation where devices might have been laid in early, uh, and unfortunately by some black op government people, uh, who knows. Uh, are you suspecting, or, well, what is, what is the feeling of something a little bit bigger than uh, the trench coat mafia being involved in Columbine? I think that that's probably self-evident if you look at the number of people who witnessed others involved. Uh, I would have said that there were five other people, the ID the five other people on the scene. These people were all detained almost immediately afterwards, but then they were let go. And the question was, with the strength of the evidence against them, why did they let them go? And my feeling, the only logical explanation is that they, uh, this would have led to a wider uh, conspiracy. There were probably adults guiding this group, manipulating them, encouraging them, arming them perhaps. That's the only logical explanation as to why the police did not prosecute the other persons involved. So, yeah, I think the evidence is pretty good that uh, that, that there was a whole uh, slew of people doing this. So, in, this, in a situation like this, as opposed to other events, you may not be looking at patsies, in other words, uh, people who did not do anything, but you're looking at um, 
two individuals or more who either got some assistance in the weeks, perhaps, or months before the event. Would that be correct? Uh, I would have to say yes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, was, uh, was there any, any mention or references by the, the principals um, that they had any kind of help or... Uh, no, that was never really explained. They, like I said, they, they did not uh, do a complete investigation. They interviewed the other perpetrators, but they just, they were not asking the right questions. They impressed them on their alibis. They just kind of took an interview. Okay, you're innocent. That's good enough with us. I, I get the feeling these people were never really uh, grilled to any extent. They, they were given a pass. Well, this also has an appearance in other events as well where just as you said, some folks that might have been um, uh, have special knowledge or have been uh, either very close to the event or part of it, all of a sudden disappear because if you can uh, um, basically uh, put them on the lock and key right away, nobody can get a chance to speak to them and they can't, or they have no chance to say anything, or in fact, um, they have no intentions to, but they're going to be whisked away so that no one will ever know. Right. And I mean, that, that seems to be the case also in, um, in Port Arthur. Mm-hmm. Which uh, again is one of these events, uh, you know, Ralph. Where, I mean, this is this happened before the eyes of many, mm-hmm. and in, in the case of Port Arthur, also uh, traversed a, a number of, I guess, uh, kilometers right. before its um, its um, termination. And you wonder, with all the eyes that were there, how in the world anybody got uh, anybody got away? However, there's something interesting. And I haven't asked you this. In the case of Dunblane, they took the pertinent documents and said we're going to basically put them under lock and key mm-hmm. for a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. And also in the case of Port Arthur, it was 30. Mm-hmm. Now, a hundred is really egregious, and uh, Sandra Utley, uh, well, doesn't intimate, but states that that length of time got a lot of people very interested in why it was as long as it was, so that they did some kind of disservice to their cause, whoever they are. Right. In the case of Port Arthur, uh, Andrew McGregor states it was 30 years, and he thought that was egregious as well as other people did, let alone 100 in Scotland. So sure. with that in mind, do we have this, like, uh, we're going to protect everybody and put this information in the lock and key for a certain amount of time? Well, they didn't do that. Uh, what they did was claim repeatedly that they had released all the evidence, and uh, which was not true. Uh, I've looked at the accounts. There's numerous missing uh, interviews still. Uh, there's all sorts of evidence that they never released. For example... They took uh, uh, fingerprints off of the, all these shell casings, the weapons, and so forth. Yet they only found the fingerprints of Harris Klebold on two objects. They never told us whose fingerprints were found on the other things. They did uh, a gunshot residue test on Harris and Klebold and the other suspects. They never told us what the results were. And, and it goes on and on like that. They didn't uh, lie about the evidence. They just kept on saying it had been all, all been released. Well, obviously, if they're going to go with the two-shooter theory, it would be good for them not to find uh, other prints uh, anywhere. Mm-hmm. But was there anything that that occurred? And this, I know it's absolute chaos, so it's, if the answer to this question is probably no. However, was there anything when you pieced together the students and the teachers' um, accounts of what took place that there was more gunfire going on that may have not been friendly than there was two people to... Um, pull it off, especially where their locations might be. Uh, yes, uh, one, one of the things that struck me was that there was a, a many in, uh, uh, ear witnesses, I should say, who heard gunfire in two different parts of the school simultaneously, where, where the official story says that the two per- uh, perpetrators were together almost the entire time. People would run from gunfire in one hallway, and they'd come in, uh, in contact with a shoe 
you're at the other end of the hallway, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm just... Yeah, computers upstairs, downstairs. They showed up the administration office, the library, the science hall. They just had too many uh, perpetrators in one place at one time for it to have been two people. All right, now, could this possibly be construed as um, law enforcement... Um, uh, uh, shooting at shadows or supposed uh, uh, gunmen or anything like that? Uh, there was one incident uh, at about 12.30. Uh, this was a full 20 minutes after Harrison Cleveland allegedly committed suicide. He did have four Denver SWAT officers shooting into the library. Uh, officially, they were just shooting at their own reflections in the, the glass. But the, these officers said that something was being thrown out at them, some kind of IED or whatever. And at least three of them discharged their weapons into the library door. Outside. Well, personally, if an IED was thrown at me, I'd probably boogie out of there before yeah. I stood there and shot in, you know. Well, it is obviously good evidence that there was other shooters there. If there was somebody uh, engaging with cops at, at 1240 and the first died at, at 1208, you know, obviously there's more involved. Yeah. I just wanted to emphasize before we run out of time sure. that, that there are over 40 eyewitnesses that identified other participants by name. You've got another 50 or so. You've identified uh, uh, more than two people at one time. They gave uh, testimony that there was three or more. So there's, there's reams and reams of eyewitness testimony that indicates that there was more than two shooters. Now, those other shooters, were they also known to the students or were they strangers? Uh, with the exception of one who remains unidentified, the others before others were uh, students or ex-students at the school. People knew who these people were. They were members of the trench coat mafia. I know I'm passing over um, some of the uh, information I took from the, uh, the forum. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is interesting. We spoke about the, the supposed uh, air conditioning repairman, but some people saw that he had a, a weapon? Uh, not he himself. Uh, there was about 10 students that gave uh, a testimony that there was a shooter on the roof. They said they had been fired by the roof top gunman, that he had a weapon. But it was never clear that this, this rooftop repairman was the same person. All right, but there was somebody on the rooftop. There was, I would say very definitely, there was a shooter on the roof at one time or another. Was there any kind, now looking back, was there any kind of activity at the uh, high school, whatever time before the event, that might have been uh, a bit out of the ordinary? Well, one thing I was curious was that they had had crisis training drills in the weeks prior which may have involved a scenario of a gunman on campus. I don't know the exact nature, but they did have crisis training drills right before. Uh, the day before, the Jefferson County School District was giving a seminar on school safety and what to do in an emergency or crisis. That was the day before. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was also rumors that the teacher was expecting a fire drill. Uh, they had had rumors of bomb threats being phoned in that morning. So there was a couple of indicators that there was something going on. I also want to add that that morning before the shooting started, a Denver police officer was at that school, as was a Jefferson County Sheriff. That was also never explained why those two law enforcement officers were there that morning. Uh, was there, now, I saw this in one other place, and I'm not sure that it's, it's, it's spoken of here. So without trying to scramble through the papers anymore to find that, uh, let me just throw this out. There was some talk about Okay, maybe it sounds nuts, but some military presence, uh, perhaps NORAD? I mean, what do you know about that? Uh, it was a, a video that came out not too long ago by the History Channel uh, of Combine, and they caught the video image of a colonel and a two-star general on scene 
in camouflage uniforms. How those two individuals got there, I don't know, but that's what they found. Uh, many of the people who watched the event on full on television swore that they saw a truck there with the words NATO on it. All right, so that's where I'm coming from. It was NATO and, and then. <laughs> that's what they said. Also, the, uh, two, a couple of days later, there was a memorial service attended by Al Gore. Many of the witnesses saw that the whole scene was surrounded by a convoy of military trucks. They did a, a flyover by military jets at that ceremony also. Why they would do that for a, a civilian casualties, I don't know, but that's, that's what it was. So. Well, does anybody know why they did that? Uh, no, no, not, not to this date. I'm still trying to find that my, out myself. Uh, one other thing. Um, I don't know that NATO works out of there. I know NORAD's in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, ge geographically, uh, I cannot figure out um, how far one is away from the other. Do you have any idea from Littleton to Colorado Springs? Uh, Colorado Springs, I believe, is about 90 miles south of Denver. Right. Uh -huh. Now, is Littleton a suburb? Littleton is an incorporated city right southwest of Denver, basically a bedroom suburb of Denver. Okay. Uh, now, there's some other things that I don't know... If, if they're that important, but again, uh, we've done a lot of stuff with predictive programming. Also, and this gets into the, I guess, the realm of metaphysics. We won't stay there too long, but um, where we know that um, oftentimes this seems a great coincidence between what is being shown on TV, and I'll go as far as saying a lot of times on the Fox network, uh, where there seems to be this really strange coincidence of content. Well, reflecting what's going to happen in the future, uh, art imitating life, so to speak, before it happens in life. Right. Off the top of your head, uh, are you aware of some kind of uh, shows that might have hit a little too close to home, given uh, what did take place? Yes, I did. There, there was a show called uh, The Promised Land on CBS. Okay. Over that week, they had scheduled an episode that involved a kid shooting a gun in front of a Denver area high school. That was one of them. That was uh, then pushed back after the massacre. They showed it later on. Mm -hmm. There was another uh, show called uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer on WB Network. That was right. also scheduled to be shown that week. And that plot, or that episode involved a, uh, uh, a plot to shoot everybody in the high school. Okay. And it's kind of odd. Uh, you know, you already have two episodes of, of TV shows, and they're both referring to, to shooting students in school. So... Yeah. Is that a coincidence, or what's going on there? Yeah, and, and MTV jumped in on this too, didn't they? MTV, yes. They did a special, I believe, on violence in schools. I think it aired two days later. If it aired two days later, obviously it had been in production before then. Right. So right around Columbine, all these uh, shows are supposed to air that featured violence in schools. I'm asking myself, is that coincidence? You know. Now, now um... The situations that we had just recently, and sometimes it just seems they always appear in threes. We had an event again in Colorado. There was an event, or near event in uh, Vegas, and of course we had the situation that took place with children in Nickel Mines, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Well, there were other events besides those three. There was about, it depends on how you, you, what you count as a school violence-related events, but there was like seven or eight events happening around the same time frame. I mean, just recently. Yeah, all the way from late September to, to, to now. What about how Columbine fits in, into a bigger picture with regard to uh, other events of note um, during uh, 1999? Other events of note? Uh, you mean school violence-related events? Or, or Yes. Yes. Uh, what, 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 sometimes what people would call copycat uh, that bear the same M.O. 
similarities to other events uh, uh, to include even what took place at, um, at Port Arthur. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let's, we might as well go where we're going, and that is, it's heinous for people to believe this, but uh, I think we have reached that uh, period in our uh, uncivilization where you're starting to see uh, parties we would not like to believe uh, turning on us. So... Was, yeah. What is the possibility of government involvement, and what would be the benefit? Uh, in Columbine? Yes. I'd say the possibility is 100%. There is no other uh, likely scenario that fits into the uh, the pattern of behavior we saw that day. The fact that five other people were arrested on scene and were quickly let go, despite overwhelming eyewitness uh, ident- uh, testimony. So I have to say, yeah, the government was involved. They, they probably... Uh, originated the idea they're probably behind a lot of these school shootings as a matter of fact and I want to emphasize that Columbine was not the only school shooting where people saw other perpetrators on scene that very same phenomenon happened at Jonesboro, Arkansas back in 96 that happened in the Erfurt, Germany school shooting uh, that happened in the recent Montreal school shooting at Dawson College there were three people involved in that one and it, and it was also Red Lake the school shooting a couple of years ago there was two people, at least two people involved there. So this kind of thing happens over and over. They'll take one perpetrator, paint him as the patsy, the lone nut patsy, and they'll, they'll let the other uh, perpetrators go. All right, with that in mind, and again, I'm not going to uh, say too much now about what um, Sandra has found out about the supposed uh, sole perp in Dunblane, but can we, can we, well, how in the world, do, 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 well, we'll never know the whole forensics of it, okay? So given what you found out or what you know, Ralph, uh, what did it look like? Um, uh, how did uh, Klebold and Harris uh, meet their ends? Uh, I don't believe they killed themselves. Klebold I, 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 definitely, like I said, the gun was found in his right hand, yet he was left-handed. That sounds like he was definitely murdered. If the other, if Harris killed himself, I'd probably more because of a trigger. These people were not suicidal. I don't think they wanted to die. They were making normal plans after graduation. So if they did kill themselves, it was probably due to some kind of uh, a mental trigger. Well, they certainly were involved. Um, can you po- possibly uh, come up with some kind of um, rationale where they thought perhaps they would live on or get spirited out of there or, you know, be, be considered dead but, uh, you know, just whisked away? No, no, it's not like that. It's just uh, kind of a schizophrenia. On the one hand, they were planning a suicide mission. On the other hand, they were planning to see a movie the next week. They were planning to go to college. All right, they were so planning to see their friends back in uh, back in New York, you know. And well, at the same time, they're planning a suicide mission. So how, how do you square those facts? You don't. No, you don't. And I'm only going to guess. But you know, sometimes when you when you see that kind of situation, you wonder if they if there wasn't some kind of promise. If there if there was government involvement and they were going to be uh, witting, not unwitting tools, that perhaps there was some kind of promise of uh, 
you know, we'll, we'll take care of the situation, we'll get you out of here. Now, that's me saying that. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think that's happened in other cases, for sure. Uh, but in that situation, that's one of the ways I could, I could, you know, somewhat jive uh, those two behaviors, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Harrison Cleveland were that, uh, that violent. They, they were, had some anger problems, but uh, they didn't hate the school. They were just normal kids, really, in most respects. And uh, I don't see them as being willing participants in this thing. Do you think there was a possibility that there were, uh, say, let's say, black up government types? Uh, who were in that building uh, and just creating more chaos with random fire? Uh, I don't think, no, there's no indication that, that uh, government people were involved, although I, I do emphasize that there was one unidentified shooter remaining. He was older, so he, he could have been a government operative, but the other participants were just students or ex-students. All right. Uh, basically, uh, I think they were mind control. I think somebody was leading him by the nose to do this. All right, so you think that they might have been uh, under some kind of shall we say, Manchurian candidate type situation, which everybody understands. I would have to say yes. Right. Uh, students are sometimes immature, but they, by and large, don't want to destroy their lives so early by by murdering people. All right. Well, Maybe antisocial or violent, but they mostly don't, you know, start shooting people on the streets. It just doesn't make any sense. Undoubtedly, well, unfortunately, too, that this might be one of those situations, Ralph, where nobody will ever really know, and this thing remains a mystery. Well, certainly the government will never fess up to anything, just like they have in the JFK case. But you do learn more and more as the years go by. And these kids will be around for a long time, so right. they'll, they'll be able to talk about this 50 years from now. Who knows how long it'll take to find out what really went happen All right, Ralph Sagemark, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate the time you spent. We'll send people in your direction uh, very briefly. And um, we're going to speak to this again, obviously, next month. And uh, thanks a lot for spending your time with us. Well, thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. Take care, Ralph. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.